Hello again and welcome to Scripture in Black and White. Uh, I'm Anthony Walker uh, here with Bobby Harrington. Bobby, good to see you. Hey, Anthony, it's great to see you. Uh, Hey, I really enjoyed uh, doing these podcasts with you. I think we've got some great ones that we've done so far. And I'm really grateful that we get to be laying a foundation so that uh, as people are listening to us and following along with us, we're laying a foundation so that we can bridge to other things later on that will assume this foundation. Like last week, when we ended our description of how in the Christian faith, there are some things that are essential, written in blood, some things that are important, vital, like uh, things written in ink. And then there are other things that are personal or disputable uh, that are written in pencil. And uh, I just love that because then we can come back to it and uh, assume that and talk to people with that foundation. So great, great to be with you again. Awesome. Awesome. Certainly, certainly. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to begin uh, a a deep dive uh, that will get into this question. Now, the question is simple, but we're going to deep dive. Someone may ask the question, um, you know, why do I why do I trust the Bible? How do I you know, why do I I trust what Scripture says? And and they're not digging into, you know, all the doctrine. They're just looking at the Scripture itself. Like, how do I trust this? Book yeah. of books. How do I trust this scripture? And so this will begin a deep dive that will dig into that question from the very basic beginning. How did we get the Bible? So uh, you all know that uh, Bobby is, is, is very uh, knowledgeable in this area, has done extensive study and research in this area. Uh, so I'm going to just kind of be like the average listener here. I'm going to ask him some questions and kind of follow him along as we dig into how did we get the Bible? Bobby, how did we get the Bible? Yeah, you know, I just think it's such an important question. I can remember as a university student at the University of Calgary uh, in my hometown, um, when my French professor, I found out that he was a follower of Jesus and that he was fairly well informed about things. And I can just, I can still remember like it was yesterday sitting in his office and and thinking to myself, oh good, I get to ask him like, how do we know the Bible's reliable? How do we know that it's really God's word? How do we know that we can trust it and follow it? And uh, I, it was so vital back then for me uh, to get answers to those questions. And I've, I've, uh, I've always remembered that and I've kept it in my mind. And I'm conscious, Anthony, today that a lot of people uh, don't don't think the Bible can be the Word of God. They think that uh, because of what it says about LGBTQ issues, that it, it, it can't be right. Uh, they think that because of uh, the Quran says different things uh, than the Bible does, that, uh, that the Bible can't be right. Or, or they just think, how could a really old book written you know, parts of it were written 2,000 years ago. Uh, other parts were even before that. How could we know that that's really God's word? So it's, it is, a, uh, I think these questions are really important. And so we're going to take some time. We're going to do uh, at least a couple of sessions on it, uh, the one today, uh, and then we'll come back to it so that we try to be pretty thorough. But Anthony, I just love it when you jump in and and uh, uh, if you can represent the folks listening who might be thinking something that, that I'm not thinking about uh, as we're going through it, then that would be super helpful. 
we'll certainly jump in. Please tell us, listeners, how do right. we get? <laughs> so, so the Bible has two parts. There's the Old Testament, which is about Abraham and his descendants, uh, the Jewish people, and then the New Testament or the New Covenant, which is about Jesus and Christians and uh, uh, what it means to follow Jesus. The two books together uh, are form the canon or the rule. The word canon means rule or the rule of faith. And so to do this right, we've got to start with the question, how do we know about the Old Testament? Because that's totally separate. And then how do we know about the New Testament? So uh, I'm going to be a little bit briefer about the Old Testament than I am the New, uh, because um, the New Testament is based on Jesus, and my faith is based on Jesus and the gospel, and Jesus is super clear about the Old Testament. Now, before I get into what Jesus said about it, I, I want to tell everybody a really interesting story. I, I find it fascinating. And uh, I, I'm talking about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So up until and right through World War II, uh, the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament that we had that were extant, that means you could go look at them and touch them, were from like 900 AD. And they talked about, uh, uh, or they were copies, they were manuscripts of the Old Testament that was written variously from 1400 BC to about 400 BC, before the, before the Common Era, before Christ, however you look at it. So if you think of the, that the oldest manuscripts were from uh, like 900 AD of books that go back to 400 BC, there was a lot of reason to think, oh my goodness, uh, there's no way that it could be reliable. You know, that's uh, 1300 years. Surely there was a lot of changes in it. Well, after World War II, a lot of really cool things happened very quickly in Palestine. One of them, of course, was the establishment of the nation of Israel. The Jewish people from all over the world went back uh, to Palestine, to that area, and reestablished a homeland for the Jewish people. Well, while that was happening in uh, 1947 and 48, the world became aware of a huge discovery. And uh, here's what it was. Outside of Jerusalem, to the south of Jerusalem, uh, there was an area uh, where the Jordan River would flow into the Dead Sea. It's like many, many hundreds of feet below sea level. It's the lowest uh, area geographically on planet Earth. Uh, there, there are caves in that area leading up to the Dead Sea. And there was also a community that lived there up through the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now, here's what uh, is super interesting. There were a couple of shepherd boys trying to find their sheep in that area. And one of the shepherd boys threw a rock in a cave, thinking that there were sheep up there. And uh, he heard that the rock went in to where he thought the sheep were, and he could tell that the rock broke something. So he scrambles up the hill, goes into the cave, and there he sees all these ceramic 
uh, containers that are holding scrolls. And these scrolls are now known to us as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, sure enough, pretty soon the whole world became aware of the discovery of these scrolls. And other than the book of Esther, they found all the Old Testament books and the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves date from approximately 300 BC uh, up until the time of Jesus. Uh, and these scrolls show us that from that time, again, 300 BC is, are the oldest of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, one of the scrolls, for example, the scroll of Isaiah, which is one of the more important scrolls they found, it's from like 150 BC. And that means that if you take that scroll, it takes back our knowledge of the scrolls of Isaiah a thousand years from 900 AD all the way to 150 BC. You have this copy that in Israel, you can actually go look at it and touch it. In fact, I have a picture of the scroll. Uh, it's the Isaiah scroll. I took it when I was at Qumran, uh, going to the place where the shepherd boy found those scrolls so long ago. And here's what we found, is that on all matters of substance, those documents, the Old Testament documents, came down to us from that time reliably. The scribes at Qumran were so meticulous to get things right, and the manuscripts that they gave to us uh, at that time, and then, of course, copies were made of those copies, but they made sure in transmitting those copies that they were accurate. And it's absolutely amazing to realize how far back our knowledge of the Old Testament goes. Now, without getting into a lot of details on it, uh, books have been written on how the things that the Old Testament described actually happens. On almost a weekly basis, uh, they are finding even today in Israel, things that are described in the Old Testament actually happened the way the Old Testament said that they would. For example, they found uh, these uh, seals from King Hezekiah. He was the king of Israel around 700 BC. And just a couple of years ago, they found stamps in Jerusalem from his reign that verified not only that it was Hezekiah, but names of other people who are in his court who are mentioned in Scripture. So there's a lot of good archaeological evidence uh, verifying what the Old Testament describes. But let me tell you what, for me, is the clincher. And uh, I just want to bring, the, bring this up. Uh, it's what Jesus said about the Old Testament. So we have good reason to believe, based on archaeology and uh, the history and everything that you and I discussed, Anthony, in one of our previous podcasts, that, the, that uh, objectively we have to take the Gospels as an accurate reflection of what Jesus said. Like, if we're going to be objective, we've got to realize these are historical documents, they're reliable, and when the Gospels tell us what Jesus said, at least it represents a good historically uh, verifiable way of what Jesus said. You may not agree with Jesus, but at least we know what Jesus said. And I say all that to say this. The first uh, point 
in our discussion about how we got the Bible and the reliability of the Bible is that Jesus believed in the inspiration and authority of the Old Testament. He describes it in many places. For example, he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, which the Old Testament in Genesis 19 mentions. Jesus describes the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as historical things that really happened. He talked about Jonah, who was swallowed by a whale, as something that happened as it's described in the book of Jonah. As he's debating the Jews, he says, God's word says here, God's word says this there. He's assuming, uh, and, and not just assuming, but proclaiming the reliability of the Old Testament. In fact, let me just read to you from Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, the words of Jesus giving us Jesus' view of the Old Testament. He says this, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus is very much somebody who is telling us that the Old Testament law is a reliable guide to what God taught, that Moses, the law, and the prophets were the standard of how God revealed himself to the Jewish people. And in fact, as he's going to say, that these teachings point to Jesus himself. So my, my first thing that I just want to say is that there's good reason to believe that the Old Testament from at least 300 BC came to us reliably. reliably. Of course, there's archaeology and history behind all of that. And then here's the clincher. Jesus believed in the inspiration and authority of the Hebrew Bible. And because Jesus believed in it, my default is to believe like Jesus believed about the Old Testament. So let me let me let me jump in real quickly here. Um, simply put, the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the main things that that archaeological find uh, confirms for us is the consistency of the scriptures through the ages. So we find some documents at this point. And we say, well, yeah, but but what about? If we found something earlier, let's see how much it changed and virtually no change in, you know, so much time. So it shows you that even through the passage of time, even through the passage of history and everything that took place historically, the scripture and the dictation and scribing of copies of scriptures, they didn't have copy machines back at the time. Literally, there were there were groups of scribes that had to manually write down word for word, page for page, uh, passage for passage. And, and even through all of that, they still got it consistently. Yeah. On the edges, there's like minor words and things like that. But here's the, the consensus view is on all matters of substance. Mm-hmm. There are no changes. Wow. And so uh, for us today. Uh, we can look at it and say it came down, the Old Testament came down to us reliably as far back as we can trace it and confirm it. 
And what and, and just to underline this as well, before we go into the next point, what specifically were on the Dead Sea Scrolls? What books were still there? So if you take the Old Testament, mm-hmm. all the books of the Old Testament are represented, except for I believe it's the book of Esther is not. There's other books that were uh, in this library is a, is a massive library of books. Mm. It looks like uh, what happened is probably when the Romans uh, were destroying Jerusalem, what the people at Qumran did is they had all of these scrolls. So they put them in these jars and they put them for safekeeping up in the caves so that the Romans wouldn't destroy them. And by doing that, because it's so dry in that area, I mean, it, it like it never rains or anything. By doing that, God providentially protected the scriptures uh, so that after World War II, uh, they were found and revealed to the whole world. So uh, there's a library of Old Testament books, but there's also other Jewish books that are a part of that. And then there are commentaries from the Qumran community, these Jewish people, uh, how they interpreted the Old Testament and the writings that they had for their community. Awesome. Awesome. So so point number one, as simply as it could be put, uh, not only is this backed up by archaeological findings, but also even within Scripture itself, Jesus believed in the inspiration and the authority of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Yeah. So again, now let's move uh, and let's talk about what Jesus said about his teachings. Uh, Again, without over-repeating this, Mm -hmm. uh, objectively on historical grounds that we established several uh, podcasts ago, uh, an objective person has to take the Gospels as as reliably passing on to us the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the Jesus, the son of Joseph. Uh, If we're going to take any history uh, from the ancient world, we have to take this history as being reliably passed on to us. And by the way, historians assume that. Now, historians may argue that Jesus was wrong or he was deluded, but they will not argue that um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, aren't pro- providing us what Jesus said. The, they'll have to seed that that's how the early Christians understood. And, and historically, this is what Jesus said. So then that leads us to this. What does Jesus say about his teachings? Let me just read a couple of passages to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just draw this first part from the Gospel of John. Jesus said this about himself and his teachings. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, obviously, he's talking spiritually. He goes on and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is saying that his teachings... Are authoritative. Let me let me let me take it to the next level, and I'm going to read to you from John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50, because they established this, and this will become the framework uh, for our understanding of the New Testament uh, 
in addition to the Old Testament. So Jesus is going to cry out. Let me read it to you. Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. He said, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. So Jesus says, hey, if you don't believe my teachings, I'm not going to judge you. He's going to come to that in a second. He says, my intent to come into the world is to give my teachings to save people. Then he says this, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Let me read that again. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Jesus is literally saying that his words are going to be the basis of our acceptance or judgment by God at the last time. He goes on and says, For I did not speak of my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commandment leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. So Jesus is literally saying that his teachings will be the final authority and the criteria by which God will judge our lives. He, in, in this way, he's not just saying he's the promised Messiah, the King of Israel. He's not saying he's just a good interpreter of the Old Testament. He's saying that his words are the definitive interpretation of the Old Testament, and his words are the definitive statement or standard for the judgment of every human being at the end of time. Mm. See that that that's another <laughs> that's another one that brings it up. Jesus, as he's uh, preaching and teaching, he's reaching back to what the Old Testament says. But as you've just pointed out, he also says, "But what I'm telling you." Through, you know, you have to process the Old Testament through me as its lens. But what I'm telling you is going to be the words that will judge you in the last day. It almost brings up uh, to me that instance where he was in the synagogue and they were reading a passage of scripture. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, guys, they, this is talking about me. <laughs> right. That's right. Awesome. We, awesome. Hey, Anthony, most people are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount is so interesting in this regard, because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to take these these teachings from the sermon from from the Old Testament. I mean, and he's going to say, you've heard that it was said uh, now, uh, sometimes he'll quote directly the Old Testament uh, and sometimes he'll quote an interpretation mm -hmm. of the Old Testament. So mm -hmm. he'll go, you have heard that it was said and then he'll go, but I tell you. And so he's giving the definitive interpretation of it. And then at the end, he says, uh, the person who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. 
So he, here's some an example. He says, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, do not commit adultery, which mm -hmm. is true. Don't commit adultery. Right. Then Jesus goes, but I tell you, don't look at another person for the purpose of lust, for the purpose of possessing, of for the purpose in your brain of committing adultery. Because if you do it in your heart where you're coveting and, and living it out uh, mentally and emotionally, it's just like you did the act. So what he's doing is he's setting himself up again there in the Sermon on the Mount as the definitive interpreter of the Old Testament, how it should be understood and applied to our lives. Of course, he gives teachings in addition to the Old Testament, uh, as well as showing what the Old Testament really meant. So he is the key to understanding the Old Testament, and he is the key, of course, in his teachings to how God will evaluate and judge our lives at the end of time. Oh, my. Praise God for Jesus. <laughs> um, so tell me, uh, what does, uh, as we lead into your next point, um, when, how do we deal with what Jesus says or teaches about Scripture in and of itself? Like, because you've pointed out, he makes reference to them. He makes reference to scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount. He makes reference to, so so. How does that how does that work for us as we gather what Scripture actually says? Well, I'd say three things, uh, Anthony. First thing is that, uh, like Jesus, we want to be students of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have a Gentile background. I don't have a Jewish background. So when I read the Old Testament, I'm not going to be reading. Uh, the Old Testament as something in my heritage where I have to observe the Sabbath and things like that. And yet the Old Testament is still authoritative for me. We'll, we'll come back to it. But the first thing is that uh, as Jesus was devoted to the proclamation and teaching of the Old Testament, I want to be a student of the Old Testament. The second thing is that I want to look at the Old Testament through Jesus. So there are some things that Jesus is going to nullify or abolish. For example, Jesus is going to be sacrificed uh, on the cross uh, for my sins, so I don't need the blood uh, of uh, bulls, goats, and animals. Uh, uh, I don't need the, them, their lives taken and their blood shed on an altar because Jesus' blood was shed on the cross and that's the eternal altar of God. So I don't have to go back to those practices. So the, the second thing is that I want to look at everything in the Old Testament. I want to put, put on my glasses that would be the eyes of Jesus for everything that I read. I interpret it through Jesus. And then thirdly, I want to pay careful attention to the things that Jesus adds to the Old Testament. They're going to be consistent with it. They're actually going to show the fuller meaning, and they're going to be the interpreted guide for a lot of areas of life not addressed in the Old Testament. So in everything, Jesus is going to be exalted. I'm going to try to look at Scripture, all of Scripture, as the Word of Jesus, 
as how I trust and follow Jesus. Okay. Okay. So all of that, as you point out, not just the pieces that I like, but all of it is the lens through which we focus. Yeah. So let me go to this next part because this is really crucial for people to understand. And that's this, the Jesus written teachings become the New Testament. So Jesus teachings uh, with his disciples, they're written down. Now, Jewish people in the first century were experts at memorization. Uh, First of all, most Jewish people in the first century uh, would have been trained how to read and write in the synagogue. As we mentioned previously, it's one of the surprising recent discoveries of all the literature. But the truth of the matter is, in the synagogues, the children were taught to read and write. So they were not only taught to read and write, they were taught to read and write and memorize. So when Jesus was giving his teachings, his disciples were writing them down. Uh, They were not only writing them down, but some sections of Jesus' teachings were worded in such a way that they were worded to be memorized. So it's likely that Jesus gave them, gave these teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in a structure that could be codified and written down. But here's the point beyond how it was done. Jesus' teachings to the apostles became the Word of God. Jesus himself described it for the apostles as recorded in Matthew's Gospel at the end. Let me read what Jesus says to them about his teachings as the basis for what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus moving forward. Matthew records it this way in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then notice these key words, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gave his teaching to the apostles, and it was the job of the apostles to make sure that they taught other people uh, what it meant to follow Jesus, and that included they were to teach his teachings, and not just so they would know them, but they would obey Jesus' teachings. So embedded in this is not just knowledge of Jesus' teachings, but what we call obedience-based discipleship. They had to know them to obey them. That's why uh, it records us in the early church. When the early church first starts, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why are the apostles' teaching important? Because the apostles' teachings are the teachings of Jesus. Now, Anthony, let me add something to that, because it's not just human beings writing down the teachings of the Messiah. Jesus gave them a promise that the Holy Spirit would be with the apostles, helping make sure that they got it accurately. In the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 24, 
describes it this way. Jesus said, these were, when he was talking to them in his public ministry, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But, he says, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said to you. So Jesus not only told the apostles to communicate his teachings, Jesus also said to them that the Holy Spirit would be with them and ensure that the apostles got Jesus' teachings accurately. Which is why then, of course, as I've already mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, right after Jesus ascends to heaven, what does the early church do? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, according to Acts 2, verse 42. You know, one of the things that kind of encourages, encouraged me, I should say, because I, I, I'm this has really helped me, but what encouraged me from just looking at what Jesus did in his teaching and, and preaching at the time is that he helped those who were skeptical about him to see, okay, what you've read in the past that was either about me or it was telling you that I was coming or it was telling you what I'm going to be telling you now. But then he's also pointing out what you just uh, stated. What he also did was to say that after I'm gone, you're going to be continuing to teach what I teach. So for somebody to be able to stand between <laughs> two points in history and say, hey, all that you've heard before was about me and all that you're going to hear after is going to be about me. Uh, we probably ought to listen to that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. You know, Anthony, a couple of other passages just to help make this clear. So uh, the book of Hebrews, which would be, uh, you know, part of the apostolic teaching, says it this way. Uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it starts off, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So he's talking about the Old Testament. In the mm -hmm. past, God spoke to our ancestors. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, <laughs> these things about Jesus, it's like God's final word. Uh, and then the book of Jude, this is really interesting. So the book of Jude uh, is really um, telling how important it is to protect, to protect the teachings of Jesus. Here's what Jude said. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share. So he says, hey, he's writing to a group of Christians. I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share through Jesus. He said, I felt compelled to write and urge you for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's people. In other words, there's a faith in Jesus that was entrusted by Jesus to the apostles, and it's once and for all time been entrusted to the apostles. So it's really going to be important that I know what the apostles said, because the apostles' teaching is the standard, the canon, the norm 
Uh, it's the authority for the teachings of Jesus. Mm. Wow, this is this is coming down the line. Um, so so we need to be listening to Jesus and we need to listen to what the apostles even teach about Jesus, because that comes directly from Jesus. Uh, could we just basically say this is all about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I think we can. <laughs> as long as we understand. It, it, it's about it's about God. It's about the Holy Spirit and it's about Jesus. But Jesus is the key interpretive lens. Uh, I mean, it's like it says in the Gospel of John, Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came from the Father to reveal the Father to us. So the way we know about God the Father is through God the Son, and that teaching is empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Anthony, uh, I'm going to get a little bit uh, specific here because of the time in which we live. And uh, I want to talk about if, if what we have just learned is true, and we believe it is true, some of the implications that some people are not comfortable with. But sometimes in life, it's not enough to just say, we believe this. We've also got to say, if this is true, that's not true. And when we say, because this is true, that's not true. We're not being mean. We're not trying to be judgmental. We're not trying to be unloving. In fact, it's part of loving people. So I want to I want to talk about some common beliefs out there. Uh, the first is going to be about the Quran, and then the the next set will be about Mormons. And uh, around the world, the biggest rival to Christianity, of course, would be Islam and the teaching of the Quran. Uh, I want to point out that um, we, we tend to like we want to think that the Bible and the Quran are two different roads that lead to the top of the mountain. That's often the analogy given, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, that they're all really saying the same thing. They're not like given what we've just said, they're not. So here's five beliefs about Jesus in the Quran that directly contradict the historical Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. First off, the Quran says in Surah 4, uh, 157, that Jesus was not crucified for our sins. It says that Jesus was not the Son of God. That's in Surah 19, 34, and 35. It says Jesus was not God in the flesh, uh, Surah 3, 59. It says that Jesus should not be worshipped in Surah 5, 116. And it says Jesus was not part of the Trinity in Surah 4, 171. And so here's the difficulty. They both can't be right. Jesus, the historical Jesus, and the apostles tell us about Jesus. He was crucified for our sins. It's the most central part of the gospel uh, which by which we are saved. That Jesus was the Son of God. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. That Jesus was not God in the flesh, whereas John says, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus should not be worshipped, whereas uh, in the New Testament, 
because Jesus is God, he's part of the Godhead, he is worshipped. In fact, when uh, Thomas sees him uh, after he's resurrected, doubting Thomas falls down and says, in worships and says, my Lord, my God. And then lastly, that Jesus was not part of the Trinity, when in fact, Jesus was, that uh, the New Testament clearly teaches us uh, that the God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it becomes a matter of truth. Like, is what we're saying truthful and historically accurate? Because if it's truthful, then the implications are great. Several years ago, my son was a missionary in Turkish Cyprus. And I remember when he called me, he had spent uh, many hours the night before in conversation with some young Muslim scholars. And uh, they had a very truthful conversation because at the end of it, they all agreed uh, that either Islam is correct or Christianity is correct. Uh, but both of them can't be true at the same time. And I, I just want to say that the evidence is so strong. And by the, by the way, the Quran's comments about Jesus are 600 years after the fact. And I would way sooner trust documents that have been historically corroborated from that time than some interpretation that comes 600 years after the fact. And so truth uh, truth means we've got to uh, advocate for what is objectively true, even though uh, it may create some difficulties. But uh, the most loving thing to ever do is to hold to the truth, because the truth will set you free. And at the end of the day, the truth uh, is is just a part of being a reliable, conscientious uh, uh right living person. Anthony, I want to add uh, one more thing uh, before uh, this session comes to an end, and that is uh, some beliefs about Mormonism. And you say, Bobby, why are you bringing up Mormonism? Well, hey, I'm Bobby, why are you bringing this... up Mormonism? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing it up because in uh, North America, by a long shot, Mormonism is the fastest growing religion. Mormons are just spreading uh, in a way that evangelical Christianity is not. And the Mormons uh, do not buy into the historical reliability of the Gospels and the accurate portrayal of Jesus in the New Testament on some crucial items. So as I did with the Quran, I'd like to do that with... Uh, um, with the Mormons. I'm going to give you five. First is, uh, we believe, Christians believe, and Jesus affirmed that there's just one God. Mormons believe Jesus is one of many gods. Most people don't realize this about the Mormons. Uh, in Mormon theology, uh, Jesus is the God, or God the Father is the, the God of this planet, but there are literally millions and billions of other planets with other gods. So uh, uh, Abraham uh, 4 verse 1 talks about other gods. Not only that, number two, Mormons believe that they become gods themselves. And this is taught in Doctrine and Covenants 
76, 50 through 58, and so forth. Um, Mormons have an expression, uh, as, as uh, man is, God once was, as God is, man can become. So Mormons believe that if they are faithful, that if they are married in the temple for time and eternity, if they keep the word of wisdom, that they can reach celestial exaltation. And part of celestial exaltation for Mormon men is becoming gods and uh, women becoming goddess wives who will populate other planets with spirit children. And it's crazy. And most people don't know this, but it's actually Mormon doctrine. Thirdly, the New Testament teaches uh, the apostles said that Jesus was born. Uh, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then born to the Virgin Mary. Mormons don't believe that. They believe that God literally, God the Father, literally had sex with Mary, like physical sex, to conceive Jesus. Uh, uh, this is taught in First uh, Nephi 11, 18 through 21, and Alma 7.10. Number four, the Bible teaches that there's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that angels are created beings separate and apart, much lesser. In Mormonism, they teach that Jesus and Satan are actually brothers, and that's taught in Moses 4, 1 through 4. And then most, um, I, I would call this, I just capping it up, number five. Uh, the Mormons do not believe the faith was delivered once and for all to the saints. As Jude chapter one, verse three says, uh, they think it needs additions. The Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. So again, when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, when it comes to the apostolic uh, uh, purveyor of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament documents, these truths are so precious and so important, and the truth is of a nature that it includes what's truthful, and things that are contrary to it are excluded. And part of loving people and loving ourselves and loving God is to be people of truth who hold to these things, who uphold them. Now, we do so with kindness and respect, but we do so with a determination to uphold that which is right and true about Jesus. So thanks for letting me dive into the weeds there a little bit, Anthony. Certainly, certainly. So to, to kind of recap this today, um, we first must come to Scripture understanding that it is the truth. Um, Jesus tells us in Scripture that God's word is truth. So if you are pursuing truth, um, the Bible, the scriptures of God, this is the way that we go for truth. And even as you look through this, the archaeological finds that you've talked about, they are evidence of things that scripture says took place. There are there's evidence that says, wait, actually, what took place is what happened. We can find physical evidence of these things that have taken place. 
And then we have gone through this point to understand that even how Jesus looked, especially even at the Old Testament, is again underlines that, hey, he believed it. So I got to believe what he believes. He is the lens through which we interpret scripture. He is the authority on scripture. And then he even points out that what I say and even after I'm gone in this physical uh, being that, again, you're still going to be teaching what I have taught and my words are the final authority. I'm looking forward to our next session where we'll keep on this deep dive. Yeah. Hey, Anthony, uh, we didn't get to the fourth point, but I think we've covered enough for today and we'll pick it up next week uh, where we're going to talk about how the Bible combines the Hebrew uh, teachings, the Old Testament with Jesus teachings uh, through the through the apostles and together Mm. uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament combine to form scripture, uh, the canon of scripture for us. Can't wait. Can't wait. Listen, you all, thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to check us out at Renew.org. Click on media. You'll find our landing page there. Uh, We'll have all kinds of documentation and slides and things that we present. Uh, Thank you, Bobby. I've enjoyed it. Hopefully you have as well. I I always love being with you. Certainly, certainly. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on next time on Scripture in Black and White.